You are Locked On Mets, your daily New York Mets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello to all you amazing Mets fans. You're listening to Locked On Mets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. To get this show every day, I need you to subscribe to Locked On Mets wherever you get your podcast. Google, Apple, Spotify, Himalaya. Also, don't forget when you get in your car, tell your smart device to play podcast Locked On Mets. Well, there is two days left in 2019. And as I have seen many people do the whole uh, recaps of the decade, I've decided I'm going to do that for the next two days on Locked On Mets. And for today's show, I'm going to talk about two themes that, in my mind, really affected the Mets negatively throughout this decade. So I want to get into that throughout the show today. Tomorrow, I'm going to talk about some positive things that we saw throughout this decade. Maybe just do some fun storylines and just go through the good things over the past 10 years. Before we get to any of that, though, I'm your host, Ryan Finkelstein. If you want to find any of my work, Check me out on Twitter at FinkelsteinRyan. You can also find some of my writing about the Mets at MetsmerizedOnline.com. Now, when I think about this past decade, one of the overriding themes has been the Mets' inability or lack of spending. And it really stems from the Bernie Madoff scandal. And I know Mets fans don't want to hear about this again, but for those of you who may not be familiar, and just to do a history lesson of this past decade, basically Bernie Madoff had a Ponzi scheme which collapsed in December of 2008. It was originally reported that the Wolfpunks lost $700 million because of Madoff. Then later those reports were that it wasn't quite that much money. The Mets had to sell off some shares of the team for the Wolfpunks to stay afloat. And really by 2010, at the turn of this decade, we really started to see the effects of that scandal. The Mets brought in Sandy Alderson to be the general manager, which was a great hire. I'll probably talk about him tomorrow on the positive side of things. But at the time, I remember there was this idea that here is Sandy Alderson, the former general manager of the Oakland Athletics, who was really the originator of Moneyball, who learned how to win without money in a small market team. And then all of a sudden, he was getting brought into a big market. He was going to be able to do so much more, and really looking back, Sandy Alderson was brought in to do Moneyball, to be able to win within the margins, to not spend a ton of money, and yes, the Mets eventually had a pretty big payroll under Sandy Alderson, but it was after years of rebuilding, and Alderson rebuilt the right way, but it was again all tied to the Madoff scandal, but you had Matt Harvey and all these prospects that were brought up. Jacob DeGrom, Zach Wheeler was traded for. So Sandy Alderson did a great job working within the limitations and gave the Mets a chance to win in 2015. But really, the lack of spending is something that continued to come up. And we see it even to this day. Do the Mets go sign Dylan Batances if they don't get that break on the UNS Cespedes contract? Personally, I don't think they do. And you've seen a uh, you know, lack of interest right now in going and spending into the luxury tax. All these different things 
they stem from that. And the bottom line out of all of this is eventually for whatever the Wilpons debts were, for whatever other financial woes they've gone through over this past decade, which could have been tied to Madoff or elsewhere, regardless, it has pushed them to eventually now sell the team. So I think that the money problems are one of the biggest themes of this past decade. You can't shy away from that. There was a time where you had an Omar Minaya in there as a general manager going out spending, bringing in Carlos Beltran, Pedro Martinez. It was good times. And then everything kind of dried up. And David Wright was the one guy that got to stick around. Jose Reyes had to move on because the Mets didn't have money for him. Turned out to be a blessing in disguise. But there was a lot of different moves that happened that were in relation to that. And again, some of them worked out for the better. And maybe there's a lesson to be learned that sometimes money does not solve all the problems. When you had R.A. Dickey coming off a Cy Young season, the Mets didn't want to be the team to pay him. But it worked out. You got Noah Syndergaard, Travis Darnoud, and that trade's going to be looked back on fondly. But that was out of money. And the list kind of goes on and on. So I just think that was one of those themes from this decade that is important. And you hope, moving into the future, as long as this sale goes through, under Steve Cohen, that won't be the case. Do the Mets need to be the team that's just blowing everyone out of the water, spending money? Not necessarily. I don't think that you have to have a $300 million payroll to win. But I think that When money is not an obstacle, hopefully the entire franchise will get smarter. And you don't have to make moves thinking about the bottom line. And I think that is where the Mets have run into a little bit of problems. You don't make that trade last year to get Edwin Diaz and Robinson Cano if it's not because of money. I know they get a big contract. And on the surface, you say, wow, they just took a lot of money on Robinson Cano. But as I've broken down in episodes in the past... If you look at the actual dollar amounts in that deal when the Mets sent Jay Bruce and Anthony Swarzak away and then also the Mariners paid part of Cano's salary, the Mets were saving a little bit of money for 2019 and they were getting a reliever in Edwin Diaz on the cheap because they were trying to revamp their team without adding too much payroll instead of just being able to have the financial ability to go out and to sign Adam Adovino and to just make those type of big free agent splashes that we just haven't seen in Queens in some time. So that has been one of the defining themes of this past decade. And then when the Mets have decided to spend money, whether it be David Wright, Ioannis Cespedes, Johan Santana, some of those deals just did not end up working out for the Mets due to injury. And that's another thing I'm going to talk about in just a minute. Alright Mets fans, so I know this is a little bit of a sad episode talking about the bad things the Mets have gone through in the past decade, but again, tomorrow I'll get into some of the good stuff, the positives, some of the great moments that we saw, try to have a more fun episode, but I just think this is kind of an interesting topic to look at both sides of the equation, and one of the other big themes that I wanted to talk about is injury. And I know Mets fans always think about how The Mets are the most injured team in the sport. But the fact is, injuries are a part of the game. It's a part of all sports. And being able to overcome injuries is really what a franchise has to do to be successful. But for the Mets, 
there was four players in particular this past decade that were supposed to be cornerstones that have really seen injuries either curtail their careers or, in some cases, end their careers. And so I just want to kind of go through some of these names. And the first one to talk about is Johan Santana. On February 2nd, 2008, the Mets traded with the Minnesota Twins to get Johan Santana, and then they immediately agreed to a six-year contract worth $137.5 million, the exact same amount that Jacob deGrom signed for, and he was supposed to be the ace of the future for the Mets. And in the previous decade, at the tail end there, he was sensational. In his first year with the Mets, Santana pitched to a 2.53 ERA, Crossed 34 starts, pitched 234 in the third innings. That was the only time in his Mets career he would eclipse 200 innings. He led the National League in ERA and in innings that season. Then, 2009, he pitched to a 3-1-3 ERA, only made 25 starts that year. The following year, he made 29 starts, pitched to a 2-9-8 ERA before having to be shut down with a torn anterior capsule in his left shoulder. He would then miss the entire 2011 season due to that injury. In 2012, Santana came back. He pitched well at times. He then eventually pitched the only no-hitter in Mets franchise history, which is what made the entire Johan Santana experience worth it, a single night really boils down that six-year contract. He was great when he was on the mound, but it was that one game that was the defining moment in Santana's Mets career. But also, it may have ended his career. He had to throw way too many pitches to get through that game, but because of how much that no-hitter meant to the franchise and to Santana personally, it let him stay in it. All of a sudden... He ends up having to get shut down and never pitches for the Mets again. So that was one of the saddest injuries when you look back at this decade to see a pitcher in his prime get shut down. And really, when you look back at Santana's career, this is a Hall of Fame talent. Don't get this mistaken. Santana had some unbelievable years with the Minnesota Twins. You look back at his Twins career across eight years he pitched to a 3-2-2 ERA, 1-2 Cy Youngs. He struck out in a three-year span, 265 batters in 2004. That was his first Cy Young year. 238 strikeouts the following season, where he finished third in the Cy Young. Then he struck out 245 batters the next year in 2006. His second Cy Young season led the American League all three times. And in his final season in Minnesota, he struck out 235 batters. So this was the best pitcher in baseball for some time. He went to the Mets and was the same way early on when he was on the mound. But that is the first injury that defined this decade. The second one is David Wright. And this is the worst one for Mets fans because you have you know, the captain, the guy that everyone thought was going to be the next Hall of Famer for the Mets. And he had a Hall of Fame type career. You had seven All-Star appearances in eight years. Um, Some MVP votes along the way. Two gold gloves, two silver sluggers. And then 
all of a sudden the spinal stenosis and all the different injuries mounting with the neck and the surgeries and luckily he was able to you know put a, a game registry in the 2018 season and he got that little tiny farewell tour where Mets fans got to embrace him and show him love for all that he did to get back on the field and all the sacrifices that David Wright made but there's always going to be people that just regret how David Wright's career came to a close way too early and for me personally I mean I idolized David Wright as a kid I wore number five on every single travel baseball team I played for um (laughs) you know my email addresses still have five in it you know what I'm saying like this was a guy that really meant a lot to me as a young Mets fan growing up and so seeing his career end the way it did it was just really tough and and the only thing I think that really is sad is that they didn't win that World Series in 2015 because that was the storybook ending for David Wright and he got a good taste of it hitting a home run in the first playoff game ever played at City Field there were so many moments that year that really um you know sentimental I mean when he came back hit the home run when he returned from injury you know the slide at the plate there was all those great moments in 2015 but at the end, you're still left with the what-ifs, the woulda, coulda, shouldas, and wondering what David Wright could have been without the injuries. So that is the biggest and most significant of these four players. But, uh, you know, all these stories are, are sad tales for the Mets. And you still wonder, had David Wright been healthy? And had these last two guys who I'm going to talk about, Matt Harvey and UNSS, Cespedes, been healthy, what could the Mets have done since that World Series year? All three of those guys were big contributors, and had they all been healthy for the last you know four or five years, would the Mets have got another run at a championship in this decade? Potentially, but that's something we will never know. Now to the next guy, Matt Harvey. This was another one that is really sad looking back at his career arc because he comes up, he's the dark knight, he takes New York by storm, was the best pitcher in baseball in 2013, in my opinion, for a stretch. Started an all-star game. He was so fantastic. And then has the Tommy John surgery. Comes back. 2015 has arguably the best season ever for a pitcher coming off Tommy John. 2-7-1 ERA. Pitches into the playoffs. And I know I've said this at least one time on this podcast, but it's worth repeating. I still believe, despite losing the game ultimately, Game 5 of the World Series was the best pitching performance I've ever seen out of a Met. Better than the no-hitter by Johan. Better than some of the great games DeGrom has had. And you've seen Syndergaard in the last couple of years. And I'm sure that there was better games before you know I was watching the Mets, whether it was Doc Gooden or Tom Seaver. I'm sure there's games that I didn't see. But from my eyes... Matt Harvey in that World Series was so dominant. Putting his team on his back, a one-run lead felt like it was all it was going to take for Matt Harvey. It looked like he was going to go the distance. As much as you can criticize Terry Collins for not going straight, the jury's familiar in the ninth inning, and it proved to be a mistake. I don't think anybody in that building wanted the ball taken out of Matt Harvey's hands. I don't think there was any Mets fans out there that wanted that ball taken out of Matt Harvey's hands. And when he ran back out of the dugout in that ninth inning and City Field erupted, that 
was one of the best moments in this decade that quickly got overshadowed by what happened in the top of that ninth inning and eventually the extra innings and all that. But Matt Harvey having to go through all of those highs at the start of his career and then getting the thoracic outlook uh, syndrome, having to go through that and all of the drama and the back page news and it was just an ugly ending. And now you see him last year pitching with the Angels and pitching to a 7.09 ERA. It's just a real fall from grace. And you wonder if Harvey had been healthy and you could have had prime Dark Knight Harvey in the same rotation as this Jacob deGrom, what would that have looked like? And I think it would have looked a lot differently and the Mets maybe win a lot more games. So that is the third injury that has really defined this decade. And the fourth one, there's still a chapter that can be written. And that's Ioannis Cespedes because you have Cespedes who has now missed two seasons with this injury. Um, or the injuries, I guess, because you have the heels that need a surgery on and then the ankle. When he's been on the field, he's been a prolific hitter. One of the best sluggers in baseball for the Mets. But he hasn't been on the field lately. And so... Now, moving away from this decade, 2020, he gets a fresh start with a contract that is heavily incentivized for him to get on the field and play. And I'm really intrigued to see what Cespedes does. I mean, can you count on him to be the starting left fielder and play 150 games? Of course not. But who knows what he does once he gets on the field. And he has so much natural, raw talent that I actually think that after two years, he can still hit big league pitching. I still feel like he is the type of hitter that will be able to overcome that lengthy of an absence. It's just a matter of can he stay on the field finally. And maybe the turn to the 2020s will change the juju or something. And Cespedes can be healthy and who knows? A healthy Cespedes could be the difference for this team this year. So I think that is kind of the perfect injury to end with because as bad as this past decade has been with injuries, whether it be the small insignificant ones or, of course, these massive franchise-altering ones, here is an injury that is not final yet. The other three guys, their careers, I mean, Matt Harvey is probably still trying to make a comeback, but the careers are over. And this guy still has a fleeting hope of a chance to make something out of the end of his career. So we'll see if Cespedes can change things up and be that type of player again for the Mets because it would be a really nice ending to a guy that was a great Met and was beloved at one time, especially in the middle of this decade when he led the Mets into the playoffs into the World Series. Anyway, tomorrow, more of the good, the positive stuff as we get into the new year. Talking best moments of this past decade for the New York Mets should be a fun episode. Thank you for listening. Remember to subscribe to this show wherever you get your podcasts. Also, don't forget when you get in your car, tell your smart device to play podcast Locked On Mets.